that. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Hey, so if you have your Bibles, open them up with me. We're ready for the book of Deuteronomy. We just finished a study in the book of Exodus. And some of you might be asking, why did we skip Leviticus and Numbers? And uh, hopefully we'll be able to answer that a little bit um, in our study. But the book of Deuteronomy is a powerful Old Testament book. And um, the word Deuteronomy it's it's in the Septuagint. And when you hear this ter- term Septuagint, you should familiarize yourself with what Septuagint means. Septuagint is the Old Testament translated into the Greek language because the Old Testament was written in which language? In Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew and um, little pieces of Aramaic. But for the most part, it's written in Hebrew. And so the, the Septuagint is the Old Testament translated into New Testament Greek. So the New Testament was written in primarily in what language? Greek. And so um, so in, in the Septuagint, the word Deuteronomy, um, the word Deuteronomy is a second. The word the second part of it is law. So it's a it's a second law, but not like you might think like like the Lord had a, a second law or a second law of Moses, but it's more more than a second law or a repeat law, it's a retelling of the law. And so in the in the New Testament, the Lord, the Lord wants us or the Lord tells us that um, during the Feast of Tabernacles every year, which was a joyous feast where, where as you know, the children of Israel and and to this day, as they celebrate, you move out of your house and you live in tabernacles and lean tos and you you remember and celebrate the the 40 years that the children wandered in the wilderness and. Um, and it was a time that the Bible describes for the, the children to ask questions and that it was the thing that God had, had set into motion that that's valid for our lives today is that we do things that, that, that prompt our children to ask questions. So the children would say, Oh, Papa, why are we, why are we living in this, this lean to today? Why are we not staying in our house? Oh, Papa, why are we doing such? And he would tell them, well, we're, we're living in the, in the outside the house because we're remembering the, the 40 years that the children of Israel wandered and, and lived in the wilderness. And, and they would retell and account the stories and it was built into their feast as it is in every one of them. So, so God says that during the Feast of Tabernacles, he, that the book of Deuteronomy should be read in its entirety. And so, um, as you know, Exodus um, is the, the law was given to Moses in the book of Exodus. And we studied it. It came in Exodus chapter 20, starting with the Ten Commandments. And as Moses spent 40 days up on the mountain and, and God gave him the, the law of Moses. And then through, through um, Leviticus and Numbers, it's, it's going through where he's teaching all of the law. And, um, and, and it's, it's um, laborious as, as we travel through there. Definitely valuable but, but then in Deuteronomy, it's a second telling. So we're going to skip the first one and we're going to go straight to the second one. And we'll, we'll look at it and we'll get a lot of the same stuff as, as we go through the retelling of the law of Moses and, and the reiterating. The other thing is that Moses, this is Moses's crunch time message. Whenever we talk about um, certain passages or messages that um, somebody gives at the end of their life. It's the last thing they wrote. We studied that in Peter. And when Peter wrote Second Peter um, chapter 3 and, and the end part there of Second Peter, that, that he, he was going to die soon. And these were like his last words as he passes down. The Apostle Paul, who wrote 14 books in the New Testament, Bible trivia, anybody know what the last of the 14 that he penned chronologically was? Second Timothy. And, and so in Second Timothy, we have Paul's crunch time message. Jesus um, in John 14 is is hours away from dying on the cross and he gives us this powerful message of John 14. And so this for us is Moses. Moses is 120 years old. The, the book of Deuteronomy is said that it was one sermon. So I don't want to hear anything about long sermons, okay? The Apostle Paul preached until past midnight. People passed out in the windows and fell down and died. And uh, Moses here is giving a uh, a, a one continuous sermon through Deuteronomy, maybe given over a period of time or maybe in one sitting, who knows, but it's, it's supposed to be, you know, we've added the chapter breaks, but it's supposed to be one long telling of it. Now there's, um, I almost want to sit down and just kind of have a family chat with you guys for a minute. We, we have been talking about, um, this topic, the awe of God recently. And so somebody say, awe. 
So awe is not like that, like you're sad or, or like the little baby's cute. Oh, that, that's not the context of the awe of God. Awe is um, short for the term awesome. And awesome is a, um, is a King James word or an Old Testament word that um, we now today for us, because everything's awesome, it's like love almost. In love, we have, you know, in, in English, we have one word for love. And, and when we say we love Cheetos, we say we love uh, life, we love our wives um, in the same vein. But we know we don't love Cheetos, or at least most of us don't. Some of you might um, get excited about Cheetos. Um, but but it really doesn't describe it well. We, we, we know what's meant, but, you know, that's why in, in New Testament Greek, there's three words for love. Well, awe is very similar for... It, the, the word awe is almost, it's terrible, it's great, it's, um, it carries a lot to it. And so the awe of God is um, a topic that's just come up a lot lately. And it's something that I've been preaching on, something God's been putting on my heart. Um, Hosanna City did their men's conference um, this last week, and they had pastors from all over come in. And uh, Mike McIntosh, who was a Calvary Chapel pastor that was with Chuck Smith, who moved, who was in San Diego now, um, has been for for a long time and just got back from Iraq and doing some some ministry there and he said that's the first men's conference he's ever done where the title was the awe of God Um, we look at um, people like Francis Chan who really his entire ministry crazy love and and any of you guys ever heard Francis Chan speak the one thing that's really powerful and he's not the greatest um, Bible teacher uh, as far as um, you know going through and exegesis the passage and really pulling out the, you know, the connections in that. But what, what about the thing about Francis Chan is that he, he has, and he lives in, in, in such an awe of God in his life. And then what does that mean? It means he loves God so much. And, you know, one of the things Francis Chan shared that was life-changing for my ministry and for you guys, and it's in crazy love is, you know, he said, when we pray, it's not so much what we say or our posture or where we are, but more, more importantly is reminding ourselves and remembering who we're praying to and the awe of God and that, that this amazing star breathing God, you know, the amazing thing about God in that vein is that um, the universe we know today is immeasurable. It's vast. The, the, the Milky Way galaxy that, that, that the planet Earth finds a little dot in somewhere is, is astronomical and, and unimaginable, the size of it. And then we find out that there's billions of galaxies that are that size. And, and do you realize from Adam and Eve to like, when did we launch the Hubble telescope? Somebody smarter than me, tell me. Like in the 80s, 90s? 91. So in, from, 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 from Adam and Eve to 1991, God had all this amazing um, creation that nobody even knew about. Nobody could appreciate it because they didn't know it was there until 1991. And why did God build something so vast and amazing? It's just in the awe of God. It's just this, this who God is. And when, when, we, when we grasp the awe of God, it changes everything. And I listened to the men's conference with, with Hosanna City this last week and all the different pastors, and everybody took a little different vein in the awe of God. And, and one pastor talked about, you know, worship, and, and then it's worship. And worship is something that another area we've been kind of talking about and, and hitting on. Worship is something that, that, that we're going to do for all of eternity. There's going to be no preaching. I'm going to have no job in heaven. But, but the worship team will, and, 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 and worship is something. And when we have this awe of God, we respond in worship. And that's one of the things about abide I love so much is just we get a night to, to just appreciate the awe of God through worship and song and, and joy and having, having this worship experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always struggling back and forth and wrestling with, with you know, decisions of, of of worship and how we worship and how we we present this 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 worship that kind of provides and produces us in us an awe of God. And the, the thing about the awe of God is the awe of God, it changes our action. It changes how we live our life. And you have to grasp and you have to at some point in your Christian life get a hold of the awe of God and the, the majesty of who it is uh, and how great he is and what he's done that, that 
you respond to that. You know, it's like um, one of the pastors showed a pretty cool story. And he, he said, you know, his best friend growing up was a girl in the neighborhood. His neighbor, her name was Denise. And, and him and Denise did everything together. They lived next door and they played and they, they went to the park and swung on the swings together. And, and you know, just being a kindergartner and, and growing up next to her. And he said it was about the seventh grade and, and they went swimming together. And for the first time, not ever before having any thought like that, he said, Denise. And he, he went home that day and he told his mom, mom, I need deodorant and, and I need some cologne. And, and what do you, what do you need deodorant for all this? And he said, mom, you don't understand. You better give me some deodorant and some cologne. And he went to his dad. He's like, dad, I, I need a razor. And you got, you got to teach me how to shave, you know? And like, he, you know, he wanted to shave and put on deodorant and cologne and do his hair and dress, you know, you got to take me to the mall. I got to buy some clothes. And, you know, it was when he, that, that awe of this situation, it, it affected his actions. It changed his actions. It, it then made him want to go and, and, and do things. And that's what the awe of God does in our lives. And that's, that's a powerful application for having the awe of God. Because when you, when you, as, as Francis Chan, who's somebody whose ministry in life is marked, you know, if, if people who know Francis and, 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 and or any a part of his ministry or the things that the books that he's written, the sermons that he's preached, the places that he's been, you know, you, you would say this about him. That guy loves Jesus. And, and, and that, there's no better compliment. That guy loves Jesus. And, and, and as I've been sharing, you know where where ministries grow? Do you know where lives change? Do you know where God's spirit shows up? It, it's where God finds people that love Jesus. And when we when we grasp that, 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 that this, it's about loving Jesus. You know why John, the revelator, was so highly used of God and so, um, so different than the other 11 guys? Now, now God called, Jesus called 11, 12 disciples, every one of them. He, he poured the same amount into them. He spent the same amount of time with them. And yet at the Last Supper, John was the one who was laying on Jesus' bosom. John was the one who, who Jesus called the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. He'll, he'll forever be known as, as the one. And, and within that very um, statement it is the idea that Jesus loved him more. And that's a crazy thought. It's a crazy thought to think that Jesus shows favoritism or love more for another. And he doesn't. But yet, he loved John more than the others. Why? Well, James explains it to us. In the book of James, he tells us if, if Jesus says, if God says, if you draw near to me, then what? I'll draw near to you. And so the fact that Jesus and John were closer than the other 11, it had nothing to do with Jesus rolling the dice, flipping the cards, bumping his head and deciding, or, or, or John was like Ben Corson and he was just pretty. And he just had a man crush on him and he, 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 he loved him more than the others. No, God doesn't do that, but God will respond and meet you where you want to meet him. And when you see people that are highly used of God, when you see people who, who have effective um, fruit in their lives, it's a result. Are you going to ask them to turn that down a wee bit? Is that where you're headed? No? Thank you. Just a wee bit, because if we can hear it out here, I know they, they, there's no loss of... So, um, God, God invites us. You, you know, one of the things... There was a passage I struggled with for a long time, and it was... Um, Jesus said that for some of you and some of us, some will receive 30-fold, some will receive 60-fold, and some will receive 100-fold blessing. And I always struggle with the idea of who gets 30? Who gets 60? And if you're anything like me, you're looking at that and you're going, how do I get 100? <laughs> Did I get 100? Because I want 100. If you're offering 30, 60, or 100, you know, maybe some, you know, maybe my wife, she only gets 30, but me, you better give me 100. You know, like, we want grace for ourselves, and, and, and you know, it's just human nature. You, you laugh like, oh, pastor, but don't, 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 don't pretend like you'd be any different. We, we, we want what's best. And, we, and so I'm thinking, like, God, who, how do you decide? Do, do you have a lottery? Do you um, assign people by the last digit of their license plate? Like how does God 
determine who gets 30, who gets 60, and who gets a hundredfold blessing. And, God just, and, and for years, for years, I never knew. I never, I never understood. I, and it's one of those things that's so cool because, but listen, I am just keep going rabbit trail. And then when I rabbit trail, I rabbit trail off the rabbit trail. But just bear with me. Um, when, when you have something like that, just keep praying about it. Keep mulling it over. Keep telling God, I, God, I can't figure this one out. I got one right now I'm working on. I've just been asking God that I just don't get. And Lord, I, I, I want to understand it and teach it, but I know what it says. I know what the pastors say about it, but I just don't get it, Lord. It doesn't play out in my life. And, and eventually he's going to give me. But for this one, um, in seeking the Lord for over a season, he, he told me, and it, it, was, it was here, it was after I was here, it was, it was in July before I was getting ready to Calvary. Just a simple answer, but it, it, it changed me. And he said, I don't decide. You decide. You decide how much you get. You decide how close you want to be to me. You decide whether it's 30, 60, or 100. And, and, and I offer 100 to everybody that wants it. And, and you decide how close to me you want to be. You decide how much of that you want to tap into. And we look at Billy Graham, and we look at Greg Laurie, and we look at these amazing people who God has used and with Apostle Paul who writes 14 books in the New Testament. Elijah, who for fun makes axe heads float on top of the water. And you think, man, I, I want a piece of that. But yet I realize, man, I'm not, I'm not worthy or I can't. And, and then God says, hey, listen, he, he, Elijah was a person of like passions. You, you and Elijah, you're, you're created with the same DNA, the same. You have the same opportunity. It's just how well you want to respond. And that's the awe of God that, um, you know, that, that, that motivates us, that, that changes us, where, where we want to love Jesus. And so... Um, in this message, um, this conference, you know, I didn't get asked to speak at this conference. But if I did, I would have fixed them all. You guys have been pastoring way longer than I have. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, th- there was something that God spoke to me in all this. And, and messages were powerful. But, but it is kind of, listen, this is what I want to share. And this is the thing about, and this all ties into Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. Like, why, why is God, and when you read the Torah... Or, or the, the Pentateuch, again, familiar, uh, terms, biblical Christian terms you should be familiar with, Torah, Pentateuch. Torah and Pentateuch basically is the same thing that means the first five books of the law, the first five books of Moses, the books in the Bible that Moses wrote. And so Deuteronomy being the last, and as, as you read through the Torah, it, it's very repetitive in, in places. And, and you read it and then you read the same thing again or you read it here and then a little bit later you read it again in, in the retelling of the of the law. And so what, what I'm sharing is 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 about Deuteronomy and, and it's this kind of circular um, thing that we can't get away from. So I've been in a season in my life where I, I, I've really been focused on and, and appreciating and and wanting to grow my awe of God. And God asked me recently at the pastor's conference, he said, do you love me? And, you know, I, I, I just weep because I, I can't say, yes, I agape you. I love you. And I want, but I want to. Now, I don't know if that's a, you know, excuse or, or, or it doesn't justify it, but definitely my heart is in a place and it has been. And, and one of the things that I, I feel like, you know, God has gifted me in and it's a gift that he's given me is a tender heart and a, and a desire to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. And, you know, I can remember Pastor Jero, and I, I can remember being young in Bible college, and I was asking him, I was saying, you know what? I, I said, Dad, you know, I, I look at all these pastors who fall and, you know, with, with all, and all these sins, and, you know, they did something great for the Lord, and then their life just crashes and burns in some moral sin or some sin. I said, what, what makes you different from them? What's going to make me different from them? How do we as pastors, as leaders, as Christians, how do we avoid those things? Because these, these guys were good, good men at one, at one point. They, they, were, they were sincere in their faith and in their, and in their walk, and they weren't, and some may be phony from, the, from, from Jump Street, but, but many of them were not phony from Jump Street. Many of them were sincere believers in Jesus who fell. And how, how are we going to avoid that? How are we going to, and, you know, for Dad, he, he, he poured into me in the early days, listen, you have a heart that says, I want all that God wants for me. Lord, I want all that you want for me. And if you, if you can mean that, 
and, 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 and that all of God is, is legitimate and sincere in your life. And, and here's just the truth. There, there's many Christians, maybe some of us, and we don't want all that God has for us. We want enough of God not to go to hell, number one. We, 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 we want to do enough Christian because we have a, an intellect that believes in the word of God and that there is a literal hell and we don't want to go there. But, but we really don't want to um, completely have and, and believe and be all that God wants us to be. And for lots of different reasons, one of them is like, no, if I, if I really want all that God for, has for me, then I'm going to be in the Walmart checkout line and I'm just going to start blurting out in tongues and people are going to laugh at me. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, you know, but we we're afraid or if I, if I really say, God, yes, I want all that you have for me. I say, Oh, great. Go to Africa and live in a hut. I don't want to go to Africa and live in a hut. So I'm not going to sell out to God because he's going to make me do something I don't want to do again. eh, God doesn't make you do what he wants to do, what he what you don't want to do. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the law of the Lord and, and meditate on these things. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The amazing thing about God is that God gives you the desire and then he blesses the, the desire and he lets you live the desire that you have. And if you don't have a desire to go to Africa and live in a hut, you don't have to feel guilty because God didn't put that desire in you. And, and that's not what God's going to force you to do. He's going to give you the desires of your heart. And so um, wanting to love Jesus, and I want to love Jesus. I want to serve Jesus, you know. And, and I share this a ton to you guys, but I, I spent a lot of um, time. And for one season in my life, and it was the season that, that, I, that I first left California and came to Utah. And I spent a season, it was a year and a half, um, studying other churches and other ministries. And I studied different denominations. And, and the reason being, because I was, um, I was so Calvary. I was married in a Calvary. I was saved in a Calvary. I was baptized in a Calvary. I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. I, I was a pastor at Calvary. And, um, you know, and so I felt like in order to get even a good grasp of Calvary itself, I had to see what else was out there. And when we came out here, I, I, you know, there was a day where it was like, you, 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 you put Calvary Chapel on the billboard and you hang a dove and man, the churches fill up. And it was true. You know, you just throw that dove up on the wall and Calvary Chapel and things are good, you know, but we don't live in that season anymore. And, and the reality is it has nothing to do with the Calvary Chapel name or the dove or anything else, you know, and, and it doesn't matter what we call our church. It doesn't matter what the name is on the outside. It matters what the heart is on the inside. And it matters that, that we, we have people that love Jesus. And, and when you find people that love Jesus, then, then things change and things grow. And we don't need a ton of people. You know, we do much better with, with a smaller group of people that are really on fire for Jesus and that really want all that God has for us. And so, um, so in, in this awe, and I, and I do want to get into this just, just first chapter, at least today, but, um, the thing that happened recently is, you know, like I said, I've been kind of leaning towards, you know, that all of God is, is in worship. It's, it's in the time of music. It's in the time of, 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 of Calgon take me away and, and really worshiping the Lord. And, and, and like I said, you know, my favorite service without a doubt, you know, it's, it's a abide style of worship and it's just me, you know, and it's just the way I like to worship. And I, I definitely don't, think there's a right and a wrong way because worship is a matter of the heart. And I think that if, if our hearts are sold out for Jesus, it doesn't matter if we, if we have instruments or don't, whether we have good sounding music or bad, whether we do hymns or whether we do rock and roll without Jesus, it doesn't matter. And without a heart that wants to love and worship Jesus, it doesn't matter. So, um, but, but, um, the, the thing that in the book of Deuteronomy and, and as we study and as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, the thing I'm excited about Wednesday nights for the things that, that I appreciate you guys for coming out on a Wednesday night, because it's a little bit of work as we, as we march through these books in the old Testament. But here, here's the circular deal, what I'm trying to get to and all that. It, you know, the, the, the abide service and music and worshiping God if you don't have that combined, 
with the teaching of the Word of God? And if you're not studying the nature of the Word of God, do you know how we, we, we develop in awe of God? And how we, you know, worship is not so much how we develop an awe of God. Worship is how we express an awe that we already have. It's how we live and how we emotionally connect with this awe that God has given us of, of his greatness. But we're not going to have that. We're not going that's not going to grow. And if all we did was have worship, 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 worship in our lives. What are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? And if you don't combine that with, with, as God says here, and as Moses does, and as God instructs Moses in Deuteronomy, the second telling, the retelling of the law, then, then your, your awe is going to die. You have to have the word of God. Because when you read the word of God, you find the nature of God. And you, you read in the word who he is and what he's done and how great he is. And, and we wouldn't know that God measures the, the, the universe with the span of his hand. If we didn't read that out of the word, we wouldn't find his nature in Exodus. Um, that, that God that we read, you know, that, um, that, God, that God proclaims. And they stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord God, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, truth, and keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. And so the, the, it takes... A healthy um, relationship of worship and awe and the word of God. And you're, you're not going to get one without the other. And when we're in the word and we're knowing who God is and we're reading about God and we're studying God and we're learning him, then it, it's producing an awe that makes us want to worship. And then as we worship this awe and this, this connection that we make with God f- wants us to get in the word and study and read. So that's... Um, the awe introduction to the book of Deuteronomy, which is the second telling of the law. Amen? 8.10, we're ready for verse 1? Not yet. Um, so as far as introduction for the book of Deuteronomy, this is a cool thing. Let me tell you something about the book of Deuteronomy. Um, pick a book in the Old Testament that you think Jesus quoted more than any other book in the Bible. Wow, the book of Deuteronomy? You guys are good. Crazy enough, the book of Deuteronomy is quoted is in, in the New Testament a hundred times. Jesus quoted out of the book of Deuteronomy more times than he quoted out of Genesis, Psalms, Isaiah. Any book in the Old Testament, Jesus quoted out of uh, Deuteronomy more than any other book. And so um, I, I, was, I was going through Matthew. Turn with me real quick, Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, and I was doing this in my devotions uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, just by the grace of God, that God made a little connection several weeks ago in a morning devotion that, that I was going to need today. But in this um, devotion, I was reading through, and I started to look back. I was just curious. But, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 4, basically what happens is Jesus gives um, three temptations of Satan. And Jesus gives three answers. And every one of them is, it is written. It is written. It is written. Any idea where it was written? Book of Deuteronomy. So the first one is um, in verse number 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3, Jesus is quoting there. And then the second one is in verse 7, and it says, it is written, Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And you know where that's written? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you worship a quote out of Deuteronomy 6.13. And so these three quotes that Jesus was very familiar with the book of Deuteronomy. And so um, then, then in um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, when we started Genesis and Exodus, I always tell the, that story of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And you guys remember the, I'm sorry, not Damascus, that was Paul. Jesus was on the road to Emmaus. And on the road to Emmaus, Jesus met two guys there that were walking and they didn't recognize him. And then it says that Jesus, beginning at, 
open the Bible or open the scriptures or began to tell him and beginning at Moses, he told them all of the things in the Bible concerning him. Jesus was teaching out of the Old Testament about Jesus, meaning that Jesus is all the way through the Old Testament. And that's something that I quote often as we study the Old Testament. Well, Paul tells us something similar um, about the Old Testament and specifically about Deuteronomy in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 um, in verse number 11. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Now, all these things happened to them as examples that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul says these things um, happen to them as examples. And I've told you guys this before. One of the amazing things about the word of God is that God orchestrated people's lives supernaturally in a very natural way. And the very events of their lives as they unfolded tells a story that God wanted to tell you and I. And it's in the Old Testament. And these things that that happened are are an example for us. And Paul says they're an admonition. So what does that word admonition mean? Basically, it's, um, it's to teach you a lesson to not make the mistakes they made. Um, don't, don't make how many of you guys have told your children or your parents maybe told you one day, don't make the same mistakes that I did learn from your mistakes. And that's what an admonition is. It's a, it's a learn from your mistakes and not only the mistakes, but learn from the good things, learn from the, the blessings. And so the, 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 these pages of Deuteronomy and the actions of, of the, um, the old Testament guys, as they blew it is an admonition and an example for us. All right, now I think I'm really ready for verse one. Let me double check all my notes here. Yep, let's do it. So, so uh, Moses writing here. Moses is 120 years old when he's writing this. And he says, verse one, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on the side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Suf, between Param, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizavah. It is 11, when you can't read those words in the Old Testament, just read them real fast and just own it. Just pretend like you got it right. And then just keep going. Nobody will know any different. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Have you ever heard me say that it was an 11 day journey that took 40 years? Well, you wonder where in the heck did you get that, Pastor? Well, now you know. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse two, 11 day journey. We're going to, we're going to open that back up in a minute. Now it came to pass in the 14th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. After he had killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Asheroth, and Erdari, on this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain the, this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dealt long enough at this mountain. You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. You know how many times Lydia's quoted that verse to me? More times than I like to admit. She'd say, and she knows the word so well, and she'd say, um, from this verse, we've been around this mountain before when we have a fight or an argument or something that I've done or continue to do in my life that is destructive. And, you know, she'll say, how many more times are you going to travel around that mountain? You know, we've been around that mountain. That's what God tells them because it was an 11 day journey that took 40 years. And if you're going to take 40 years to go, what could take 11 days, you're going to walk in some circles along the way, right? In order to get there. And, and it's a picture of our life because God, God wants to get you from point A to point B and he can get you there in 11 days. Now, I don't think that anybody gets there in 11 days. You know, maybe some, maybe, maybe Ben Corson, he, He's going to get there in 11 days. But for the rest of us, it's going to take a season and we're going to make some some trips around the mountain. But the reality is, how, how many times do we want to go around the same mountain? How many times do we want to make the same mistake? And God doesn't, it's not never a matter, as I teach these things, I often remind, it's never a matter of God's love. God's love doesn't change. God's love is constant. What, what, is, it, what it is a matter of is fruit in your life of victory in your life, of joy in your life, of blessing in your life, of relation, relationally in your life. God definitely does this. His love doesn't do this, doesn't 
get away and close and get away. God's love is, it doesn't matter. The Bible says if you make your bed in hell, I'll be with you. I'm there. My love is there. But, but relationally, um, there's definitely a separation and sin causes a separation in our life. It causes a separation in closeness and in, in, in that closeness of hearing the voice of God. And so they're, you know, they've been around this mountain. They've dwelt on this mountain long enough. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowlands, in the south and on the, on the sea coast, on the land of Canaanites to the, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them their descendants after them. So the land that God swore to them. Um, and as you guys know, and, and if you don't, I'll just catch up to speed really quick. Um, the, the, the group uh, that left Egypt was a, was a number, maybe somewhere around 2 million. God gives us a number of the, the, the men that were over 20 years old. And so from that, we, we guess what the rest of that number is, probably somewhere around 2 million. Now, of those 2 million people that left, they, they, they went around that mountain so many times and they fell in disbelief and discouragement so many times that it came to the point where God judged them. And God said that, that, okay, that's enough. You will not, this generation will not enter the promised land. And he said, anybody who is 20 years old and younger, I'm going to take them in. But anybody who's older is not going to go in the promised land. Only, trivia, Bible trivia, only who? Only Joshua and Caleb get to go. The rest of you schmucks. And it says that, that for 40 years they, they wandered around that wilderness and God preserved their sandals and their sandals didn't, didn't wear out for 40 years. But it was, a, it was the longest death march in human history. And, and slowly but surely over the time, the people died and died and died. And then that next generation got to go in and possess, led by Joshua and Caleb, into the promised land. And so they, they, they marched. And then when they crossed over the Jordan... God had swore a, a, a possession, which we call the Holy Land, a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the part that, that God gave them is today what is known as the Levant. So that's a term that um, our president made um, familiar. Um, ISIS is an acronym that stands for Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. ISIS, ISIS, Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. Well, the president liked to call ISIS ISIL. Why did he call him ISIL? He called him ISIL because it stands for Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. And the Levant includes Israel. And so he was giving um, credence and he was giving um, um, power and and uh, and credibility to the fact that he believed that, that Islam should control Israel. And as we know, he hated Israel. He hated Benjamin Netanyahu. Millions of Christians died under his watch and he did nothing about it. You know, I was thinking the other day, side note, maybe pause the tape, but, um, you know, you think about like Hitler is, is, is credited for doing what? Killing how many? Six million Jews. Hitler goes down in history as, as, as killing six million Jews. Um, Stalin. Or 20 million of, of his own people. And then Mao Zedong. He's the kingdom of, of them and all. Mao Zedong will go down in history. And I think his number is like 100 million people that, 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 he, was, that he murdered under his reign. And, and, and I think Obama needs to be added to that list. Because in his reign, millions of Christians were murdered. And he did nothing about it. And so, anyways, the side note, sorry. The, the, the word Levant is an area that includes Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and, and parts of the Middle East today. That area that's the, known as the Levant is actually the land that God promised to Abraham. 
And, and it was 300,000 acres that, that, that if you study and you look at the promise that God gave Abraham, but Israel in its peak, in its, in its time of, of most domination, only controlled, anybody know? 30,000 acres. 30,000, one-tenth of what God promised. And to this day, that number is a little bit smaller. But, but they never possessed it because God gave them a gift. But if somebody gives you a gift, what do you have to do? You got to open it. You got to use it. You got to. And so unfortunately, Israel never, never lived up to the potential. But, you know, you want to talk about um, Palestine wants to argue over this, you know, little tiny piece. But technically, the part that God gave is, uh, Israel was, was, a, was a big swath. And it says in verse 9, And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And here you are today at the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. I can, how can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And so Moses basically is giving him the commencement speech here, and he's saying, I've taken you as far as I can take you, and now you got to go. And now you go on your own, and, and I've brought you as far as I know how to bring you. I've taught you as much as I know how to teach you, and, and now you, you graduate and you move on. And in verse 14 it says, And you answered me and said, Then the thing which you have told us is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifty, and leaders and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear these cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. And so Moses divided the people into leadership groups, you know, very similar to the way that God has divided the angels in heaven uh, under different leadership groups and hierarchies, the way our military has different ranks and um, they set judges over them. <coughs> and it says, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all these things which you should do. By the way, if you're looking for an outline of Deuteronomy, um, the Deuteronomy breaks up the Deuteronomy. That was kind of cool. The Deuteronomy. You guys know what an ollie is on a skateboard? An ollie. So, like you say, can you ollie? You're not an ollie. I ollied that trash can, I ollied some skateboards. We were, uh, when I was a kid, there was this, I don't know, this foreign kid, and we were riding our skateboards in the neighborhood, and he comes by and he says, do you know how to do the ollie? Do you know how to do the ollie? But I know how to do the Deuteronomy. So, um, oh yeah, the outline. Um, it, just like the book of Revelation, it breaks up into three parts. Um, first, he's going to recount the past in the first four or five chapters. And then in chapter 6 through 26, he's going to recount the present. And then in 27 to 34, he's going to recount the future. The same way the book of Revelation breaks up the things that, that were, the things that are, and the things that are to come. And that's the same way um, the book of Deuteronomy breaks down. This first section that we're in is, is a recounting of the things that, that were. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea and I said to you, you have come to the mountain of the Amorites which our Lord God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. How many times do you hear that in the word? I want you to underline that, highlight that when you see that. Do not be, do not fear or be discouraged. The word discouraged or, or depressed is, could be the other um, term that's kind of synonymous with it. But if you just add a little hyphen um, between the word dis and couraged, then you understand what discouraged means. It's a lack of or missing courage. And so God gives you courage. He wants you to have courage. And when we're discouraged, we, we don't have the courage to, to step out in faith. 
And he says um, in verse 22, And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us and let, a, let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us by the way by which we should go up and the cities into which we shall come. So Moses is recounting, recounting what's happened in the past. And we get a new detail here in Deuteronomy that we didn't get actually as, as we read through the story as it progressed. But here Moses tells us, that it wasn't Moses's idea, nor was it God's idea. It was the people's idea and no, and no record. And it doesn't necessarily always mean, but it's usually a good indicator when, when, when it's lacking that, that the, the people didn't pray first. They didn't seek God's will first. And so no, no record of Moses when the people came and said, Hey, we should send spies where Moses said, okay, let me pray about it. And it's always a lesson in your life, in my life, don't think it's cliche, it's valuable, it's Christian, it's important. Use this phrase in your life. Let me pray about it. Even with your kids. Hey mom, can I go to Sally's? Let me pray about it. You, you don't know. Maybe she's going to go there and, and Sally's neighbor is going to be there who's some creeper old dude and, you know, she shouldn't be there. It's going to be a dangerous situation. Normally it'd be fine if she's at Sally's. And, and normally she goes there all the time and has a good time and it's great. But that little wisdom, and, and you just pause. And, and, and maybe God puts an anxiety on your heart that you have to be obedient to and say, I just don't feel comfortable about this. I'm sorry. And they're not going to like it. Or, or, or not in, in parenting, but in anything, just, just, just that pause. David's life, Abraham's life, every one of them is marked by this same thing. You know, jo- Joshua, who we studied on Sunday, he, he, he prayed before he did everything. And what happened the one time he didn't pray before he went into Ai? Got his butt kicked. Then he goes back and he rips his clothes. God, why are all my men dying? I didn't tell you to go fight AI. There's sin in your camp. You better go deal with that sin. And so Moses, now we get a detail that he didn't seek the Lord and it was the people's idea. Let me tell you one thing about the 12 spies. It wasn't God's plan. It's never God's plan. It's never God's plan that we send out 12 spies. If God said, hey, this is the land I'm giving you, go possess it. Then you go possess it. You step out in faith. You have courage and you be obedient to what God's told you to be. You don't go weigh the pros and the cons. You don't go decide, well, do the, do the, because oftentimes the, the, the pros are not going to outweigh the cons. The, the giants that are in the land are not going to disappear. And all it's going to do is create more discouragement and more fear to step out in faith in what God's called you to do. And to get this, um, this, this amazing detail in here that, that, that brings clarity to the situation that it was not God's will to send out 12 spies. And obviously, right? Because what was the result of the 12 spies? Two million of God's people are going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years afraid, waiting to die because the 10 of the guys came back with a bad report and it put fear in their hearts and they wouldn't go over and fight the giants in the land and possess the land. You know, when we were looking at going over here across this vine and, and taking on this building, as you guys know, there were daunting, scary giants in the land. And we never once tried to weigh the pros and the cons, um, whether we were going to go or not. We, we, you know, our issue was not a, a lack of faith or discouragement or stepping out. You know, we did. We stepped out regardless. And there was huge, huge giants over there. But then God spoke to us and God, God closed the door very clearly and, and the door closed. But I think we, we definitely get credit that, that we stepped out in faith. We, we didn't send 12 spies and find out that there was gazillion problems and, and, and obstacles that we knew we couldn't afford or couldn't fix. And then we said, forget it. Let's not do it. It's not what happened at all. We went, we went a hundred percent and we said, God, we're in, we'll do it. We'll, we'll take it on. And then, and then, and then he, he continued to test us and we continued to push and spend money and, and continued to tackle it. And to this day, we would have gone forward had God not said at some point, okay, listen, I'm not in this. Let's, let's, let's change directions. And God gave us a different direction. And now we're, you know, we've turned and get and, and come in a different direction, but we, we don't make decisions based on pros and cons. Is that clear? Okay. Tweet it. We don't make decisions based on pros and cons. You don't put the good on one side and the bad on one side. Again, same same message I've preached a million times. When Lydia and I were going to move to Tooele, when Lydia and I were, were going to move to North Dakota, we didn't put pros and cons on the scale. Weather in North Dakota is minus zero. 
whether in California 75 on Christmas Day. We, it just, you know, we, we didn't do it. And, and we were going to go. Lydia and I got to the point in our hearts, and we meant it. And we said, Lord, we, we will go. Here am I, send me. We're going to go to North Dakota. And all I told the Lord is I said, God, I can't load my family of five at the time into a minivan and drive to 40 below. We, we have to have some place to stay. That's the only thing. We've got to have a place to park. But we're going to go. We'll go. And Lydia, too, didn't want to go there, didn't want to be there. Lots of problems. But we, and then when we said, yes, we'll go, we'll do it. And we meant it. And we were serious. And God said, okay, cool. Just was checking. I don't want you to go there either. <laughs> I got something else for you. But I just wanted to make sure you were going to, you would say yes. And we said yes. And, and then we came here. Same thing. We, we don't look at pros and cons in every decision in my life, in every decision in your life. The, the, the only pro and the only con is one thing. What is that? The only thing that you make your decision on, God's will. What's God's will? What is God's will? When you know what God's will is, and that's the hard part, it's hard discerning God's will. And, and in all those seasons, North Dakota, this building over here, moving to Tooele, none of it happened overnight. None of it happened with the flip of a coin. It all happened over a long process. But guess what happens in that long process? You grow. God teaches you things. God, God changes things in your life. All right. So am I not even going to finish chapter one? This is terrible. My, it was an introductory chapter though, but I'm not going to keep you guys later than 839. It's 831. I'm going to make a little circle right here next to verse 22. And that's where we're going to pick up and do five chapters next week. Let's, let's stand and let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you, God, so much for your word. And God, your word is so powerful. It's so life-changing, God. Lord, we do want to have and develop an awe of God that John had, that, that different men have. And Lord, yet we, we, we know that we have, to, we have to be balanced, Lord. We have to, there's nothing to be in awe about if we don't get to know who you are. And if we don't study your nature, and if we don't study the things, God, that, that, that you say for us and to us. And Lord, so, so I pray, Lord, as we, we're here on Wednesday nights, I thank you, Jesus, that a group of people have come out on a Wednesday night to put these things in our heart. And Lord, I pray that we respond to these things and that we do develop in our lives a real awe of God. And Lord, I pray for us that we would, we would develop a, a, a system where we, we don't weigh pros and cons. We don't send out spies. We, we, we try to seek in our lives, what is your will? And God, I pray that each one of us would learn a very valuable lesson. And that's simply, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. Let me pray about that. And, and, and it doesn't need to be um, hours and painstaking. It just needs to be a pause to say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do in this situation? Lord, Lord, will you help me discern your will? And so, God, I pray that, that, that we would learn these things. And, Lord, that, that you would bless each person that's in here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.